Chapter Twelve of Our Army at the Front. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Our Army at the Front by Haywood Brown. Chapter Twelve the men who did everything if the american expeditionary force had landed in the middle of the sahara desert instead of france it would not have been under greater necessity to do things for itself and immediately for even where the gallant french were entirely willing to pull their belts in one more notch and make provision for the newcomers the moral obligation not to permit their further sacrifice was enormous and although as it happened there were many things at first in which the a e f was obliged to ask french aid this number was speedily cut down and finally obliterated the men on whom fell the largest burden of making american troops self-sufficing in the first half-year of war were the nine regiments of engineers recruited in nine chief cities of america before general pershing sailed they were officered to a certain extent by regular army engineers but more by railroad officials who were recruited at the same time from all the large railroads of america and they operated what roads they found and built more till finally after a year during which they had assistance from the army engineers and a fair number of labor and special units they had created in france a railroad equal to any one of the middle-sized roads of long standing in this country with roadbeds rolling stock and equipment equal to the best and railroad terminals which in the case of one of their number rivalled the port of hamburg these were the men who were first to arrive in europe after general pershing who beat them over only by a few days they were not fighting units so that they did not dim the glory of the regulars though they had the honor to carry the american army uniform first through the streets of london they were the first of the army in the battle line too though again their civilian pursuit though failing to serve to protect them against german attack deprived them of the flag-flying and jubilation that attended the infantrymen and artillerymen in late october but though the public honor was so limited their private honor with the expeditionary force was without stint it was the engineers here and the engineers there till it must have seemed to them that they were carrying the burden of the entire world on may sixth nineteen seventeen the war department issued this statement the war department has sent out orders for the raising as rapidly as possible of nine additional regiments of engineers who are destined to proceed to france at the earliest possible moment for work on the lines of communication all details regarding the force will be given out as fast as compatible with the best public interests the recruiting points were new york chicago st louis boston pittsburgh detroit atlanta san francisco and philadelphia it was the job of each city to provide a regiment and it became the job of the great railway brotherhoods to see that neither the kind nor the number of men accepted would cripple the railways at home 
the war department asked for twelve thousand men and had offers of about four times that many the result was of course that the nine regiments were men of magnificent physique and sterling equipment one regiment boasted a hundred and twenty-five members who measured more than six feet their first official task was to help to repair and man the french railways leading up to the lines carrying food for men and guns their next was to build and man the railways which were to connect the american seaport with the training camps and last with the fighting line itself the promise of immediate action in france was fulfilled to the letter two months from the day the recruiting began the lucky thirteenth the regiment recruited in chicago landed in a faraway french town whose inhabitants leaned out of their windows in the late still night to throw them roses and whispers of good cheer anything louder than whispers being under a ban because of the nearness to the front and the day following with french crews at their elbows they were running french trains up and down the last line of communications these were the men who had years of railroading behind them many of them were officered by the same men who had been their directors in civil life it was no uncommon thing to hear a private address his captain by his first name one day a private said to his captain bill you got all the wrong dope on this to which the captain replied severely i told you before about this discipline if you want to quarrel with my orders you call me mister but military discipline was never a real love with the engineers what's military discipline to us we got rock island discipline said a brawny first lieutenant when because he was a fellow passenger on a train with a correspondent he felt free to speak his mind i won't say it's not all right in its way but it's not a patch on what we have in a big yard a man obeys in his sleep for he knows if he don't somebody's life may have to pay for it not his own either which would make it worse that's rock island but it don't involve any salutin or if you pleasin if my fellow say tom i don't pay any attention unless there's some officer around this attitude toward discipline characterizes all the special units to a certain degree though the engineers somewhat more than the rest for the reason that they had to offer not a mere negation of discipline but a substitute of their own but whatever their sentiments toward their incidental job as soldiers there was no mistaking their zeal for their regular job of railroading they found the railways of france in amazingly fine condition in spite of the fact that they had many of them been built purely for war purposes and under the pressure inevitable in such work those behind the british lines were equally fine as soon as the american engineers appeared in the communication trains their troubles with the germans began on the second run of the lucky thirteenth men a german airplane swept down and flew directly over the engine for twenty minutes taking strict account then they began to bomb the trains and many a time the crews had to get out and sit under the trains till the raid was over 
the engineers kept their non-combatant characters till after the december british thrust at cambrai when half a hundred of them working with their picks and shovels behind the lines suddenly found themselves face to face with german counter-attacking troops and had to fight or run the engineers snatched up rifles and such weapons as they could from fallen soldiers and with these and their shovels helped the british hold their line the incident was one of the most brilliant of the year partly because it was dramatically unexpected partly because it permitted the americans to prove their readiness to fight in whatever circumstances the spectacle of fifty peaceful engineers suddenly turned warriors of pick and shovel was used by the journals of many countries to demonstrate what manner of men the americans were but the work for british and french on their strategic railways was not to continue for long the great american colony was already on blueprint and the dispatches from washington were estimating that many millions would have to be spent for the work the annual report of major general william black chief of engineers which was made public in december stated that almost a billion would be needed for engineering work in france in nineteen nineteen if the work then in progress were to be concluded satisfactorily general black's report showed that equipment for seventy divisions and approximately one million men had been purchased within three hundred fifty hours after congress declared war including nearly nine million articles among them four miles of pontoon bridges every unit sent to france took its full equipment along and the cost of the railroad engineers alone was more than twelve million dollars not long after the men were running the french and british trains they were building their lines in flanders in the interims of building the american lines from sea to camp the building was through and over such mud as passes description the engineers tell a story of having passed a hat on a road and picking it up found that there was a soldier under it they dug him out but i was on horseback the soldier protested the tracks were rather floated than built where the shell-fire was heavy the men could only work a few hours each day under barrage of artillery or darkness and they were soon making speed records the fight against the morass is as stern and difficult as the fight against the bosch said an engineer speaking of the flanders tracks one party of men in an exposed position laid a hundred and eighty feet of track in a record time and left the other half of the job till the following day when they came back they found that their work had been riddled with shell holes whereat they fell to and finished the other half and repaired the first half in the same time as had starred them on the first day's job it was not long till they had a european reputation the tracks they were to lay for america though they were far enough from the flanders mud had a sort of their own to offer the terminal was built by tremendous preliminaries with the suction dredge the long lines of communication between camp and sea were varyingly difficult some of them offering nothing to speak of 
some of them abominable the little spur railways leading to the hospitals warehouses and subsidiary training camps which lay afield from the main line were more quickly done in addition to all these things the engineers were the handymen of france they picked up some of the versatility of the regular army engineers whose accomplishments are never numbered and they built hospitals and barracks too in spare time and they laid waterways and helped out in general pershing's scheme to put the inland waterways of france to work the canal system was finally used to carry all sorts of stores into the interior of france and before the engineers were finished the army was getting its goods by rail by motor and by boat though it was not till late in the year that the transportation machinery could avoid great jams at the port the engineers were from first to last the most picturesque americans in france they came from the great yards and terminals of east and west they brought their behavior their peculiar flavor of speech and their efficiency with them and they refused to lose any of them no matter what the outside pressure it's a great life said one of them from the far west and i may say it's a blamed sight harder than shooing hoboes off the cars back home but there's times when i could do with a sight of the missus and the kids and the ford if it takes us long to lick em it won't be my fault end of chapter twelve recording by john brandon